Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. Today on the show is The Cope, aka Joe Furlong and David Anthony Curley. They released their debut album Dancer on December 8th and it's not the first time that they've been on the show. You might have heard Joe on the pod before talking about the very start of the band, episode 230, if you want to go back and listen to that from about 18 months ago, there, thereabouts. Or maybe, more recently, you heard them on the Best of 2023 episode I put out late last year as they ran through some of their favourite gigs and music of last year. That's episode 290, just FYI, and features the likes of Morgana, Claire Sands and Silverbacks sharing their faves of the year as well. Anyway, two of my favourite moments of 2023 were catching the cope at All Together Now and then two weeks later at Another Love Story, both times with the rain pouring down on a Friday night. The winds and the tent acted as a bit of a buffer. A bit of a buffer. I think they're brilliant live and I think Dancer is a superb album. 12 tracks that show off a dance sensibility that I wouldn't have associated them with previously. As you'll hear me put to them, Joe is mostly known as a session musician for the likes of Circa Richardson and James Vincent McMorrow, or more recently, the Limerick trio Kingfisher. While David was previously in Other Kin and runs the Clinic recording studio in the north side of Dublin. But the cope is very much banging dance music. Some iconic sounds and vocals swirling around the mix for the musos out there. Daft Punk get mentioned more than once in the following chat. I don't think the Cope have anything to plug right now, but hopefully they're making big plans for 2024. The day after this chat, they play the Complex near Smithfield in Dublin, which is a very cool venue. Would love to see more happening there. And again, just brilliant live performance by the Cope. You can buy Dancer, their debut album, at thecope636.bandcamp.com. We're listening to the opening track, I Am Stretched On Your Grave, right now. And we'll close with one of my favourite songs of last year. I feel like I've said favourites so much in this intro, but it's true. The song is called Back On My Bullshit. Joe is the first person who answers, by the way, in case you're wondering who's who between Joe and David. And we had a brilliant dog called Gus lazing around while we were chatting in case you want me to set the scene just that little bit more. Here's the cope on The Point of Everything. Stretch.
David, you used to be in Otherkin. I've opened a fine studio that we're talking in right now. Uh, I talked with your former frontman, Luke Riley, a.k.a. Blood Donor, uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, about Otherkin and about various other things. Joe, you used to be, or you are, playing bass with like Sirka Richardson, James Vincent McMorrow, other people as well. So I guess if people see those names next to the Cope, they're going to be a bit surprised maybe by uh, what the Cope sound like, but did... Was this always the plan that you had when you thought about working together, that it would be this big dance kind of a, a vibe that you've got going on? Uh, I don't think we ever really had like a very clear idea um, when we first met and, and started hanging out of, of like, we need to make this kind of music. But we David was in the process of uh, getting the clinic uh, open and uh, we just came down one day and, and hung out and with the instruments that are available here in terms of like all the classic synths and drum machines, it kind of just went that way. And we were happy to kind of like follow where the uh, where the instinct just went, I guess. Yeah, we were just here. Um, it was the start of COVID and I think there's about two weeks of building work to be done that could not be finished. So yeah, uh, most of the actual, like the studio and the things was, was done, but the building basically wasn't safe to be to be open. So we were just... Um, in mucking about with uh, drum machines and synths and uh, sort of landed on a really nice sound naturally. Um, like we both come from more like indie rock live performance backgrounds. So the live performance thing just was go- always going to carry over. And I think there was really just no interest in picking up a guitar at the time. It was just, as Joe said, the, the instruments that were around us inform the sound and then we um was there a case of like feeling a little bit bored by making that type of music or uh, i don't know if it was boredom like just trying to make something new towards the end of other kim like we got to work with a lot of big producers in that band and one of them was um steve dub he's like produced the first two chemical brothers records and he's mixed all of them uh he brought us to a studio in brighton called the toy rooms which was a bigger shabbier version of here so <laughs> m- much larger more stuff, but on the whole, the place is a little bit grim. But some of the synths and things in there are just uh, were mind blowing, and that sort of sparked a, a big. That sent me down the rabbit hole. Uh, probably one of the most informative weeks of my life. But from that point, I was kind of pretty obsessed with. Uh, I'd already, you know, a keen interest in listening to electronic music, but just making it became a, much more of a priority for me at that stage. And I think. Uh, we were we were at it basically myself and Joe. We've told this story a few times, but we were at a karaoke birthday party for Circa Richardson, and we were double booked wherever we were in town. Myself, and my girlfriend at the time realized we had everything in the house to bring everyone back: projector, YouTube. Like we had like a a DAW, couple microphones. You know, we could have auto tune. <laughs> uh, brought everyone back to the house for this karaoke party, and a few hours into it, myself and Joe got chatting and realized that. Um, you know, we had some a shared interest in different types of dance music, and maybe we just come into the studio and. Oh, so you realised that at the at the house party? Yeah, very oh, late okay. in the morning. <laughs> late in the evening, early in the morning. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we uh we sang Intergalactic by the Beastie Boys together, and oh wow, and that was it. I think that there's such a big demand for uh karaoke, more karaoke places in town. You haven't thought about spinning that into a business as well, maybe. Cool. <laughs> That's. Good. I don't know it's if the people are, money spinner. I don't know if the people are ready. <laughs> 
Um, is there a different mindset, Joe, with making this type of music as opposed to um, making the kind of the classical indie sound? Like, I mean, I guess we're going to talk about like the big dance moments mm. on the album, but are you thinking like this has to build a certain different way, maybe? Um, I mean, it's been so long, or prior to us writing together, it had been so long since I wrote any music, really. Um, you know, being a session musician for years, it's just kind of the involvement is, is purely in, in learning rather than writing. As in you're you're in the studio, but you're told what to play. Well, well, a lot of the stuff that I do is just live. So I've played on some of Circus Records and I've played on some of James's stuff as well. But most of the work that I have done up until this point is just live. So it's it's it might be learning something that somebody else has already recorded. Um, with Circa, that would be stuff that I would be writing. But that's like writing to writing a baseline to the song that he had already written. So it's that you know, in terms of what David and I were doing together, it's complete creation from from zero. You know. Um, so I think my own experiences of being a live musician definitely informed the approach, I guess, to, to what we wanted from the music in terms of, you know, the journey that it would go on, because, you know, you've seen plenty of bands who put on, I guess, you know, kind of boring shows. So I wanted it to be engaging for us, but compelling for for the audience and for the listener that's kind of what my approach to the music was um or what it became at least anyway yeah we're going to talk through the album uh track by track but we'll start with the title as well i guess that that's uh setting out your stall early it's called dancer did that come at the start of the project that was what you were building around or was it just at the end i think as a title it came at the very end but as a concept it was it was the core basic concept of the record and the um the whole project really um, so we made this 20-minute sort of uh, techno piece for the COVID Response Award. That was the first piece of music we made. Uh, and after that, that was the thing that informed, oh, do you know what? When this is all over, this pandemic, what are we going to want to listen to and what are people going to want to listen to? It's, you know, euphoric music in a field or, a, um, you know, just in an arena with your pals having a great time and dancing. Um, Can people hear that? still that 20 minute piece of music is it, it on the album or? it's not it exists no. in our uh our dropbox i think only it uh was never it was never released it it kind of it, it 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 informed the production style of what the cope became but it's quite different you know it's pretty aggressive it's, yeah instrumental techno yeah and it's like 20 minutes long <laughs> uh the only time it ever got played actually was at um at um what was the name of that thing down in Clare during the pandemic. Uh, Hibernical. Hibernical, yeah. I gave it an airing there <laughs> one of the at the at the end of uh at the very end of it at very late in the night. <laughs> with with Jay Kerr and DJ in the taps. With Jay Kerr and DJing on the taps, yeah. Oh yeah, we we it might come out at some point as like a you know, a, a B side kind of thing or I don't know, but it was all about really making the kind of music that we would want to dance to and that we hope other people would want to dance to as well. Great. Uh, the first song is called I'm Stretched on Your Grave and it sounds like the visual side of things is as important maybe as the audio side of things. This was featured on a short film called The Cope, which I saw was on RT at the start of uh, December. It's on RT player as well. I don't know if it'll be on RT player uh, by the time people are listening to this, but the visual side is you, I think, David, isn't it? Yeah, well, for... Actually, by the time this is out, um, the whole short film will be on YouTube. Oh, okay, great. Um, yeah, it should be going out this Friday on Wonderland. So 
now that you're listening to this in the future, it's already out and just check it out. Uh, yeah, I think by the time we'd finished the record and we'd managed to make it here during COVID and with some grant support that there was just, you know, we had a huge conversation about there's an opportunity here to make a, a visual world for this music to live in, um, especially since we had such support in making the record, maybe that it's it's worth like really putting some time into that. Um, and we came up with um, a broad concept for some some sort of even at the beginning it wasn't necessarily a narrative short it was more like a trilogy of videos or a little triptych thing that a couple, three of the two or three of the tracks could live across this story and you know there's a lot of people have done that really well like the blaze haven't really done it as you know a, a series that ties together it's more like you know singular concept videos i know rye that danish act had a they had two videos that sort of tied together and i don't know if you're familiar with time to dance by the shoes with this music video with Jake Gyllenhaal that's it features two tracks by the band but it's this yeah incredible little piece of um audiovisual art if you want to look at it that way but so we came up with this concept and then brought it to um a guy called Jamie Delaney who's an incredible writer and director and then we worked together to sort of flesh out this narrative and Jamie came up with a story based around it and that is the short we made uh, called The Cope um, it's actually based on the story of Sive from the Fenian cycle, which I don't, unless you know that, I don't think you'd really pick pick up on it. But there is, um, I'd be very interested in mythology and folklore. So there's little elements of Sive in there, and then the st- like from folklore, it's more like the story of the the Selkie and the west of Ireland and um, how that story comes up the whole way down from like the Scottish west coast to the west of Ireland, but. Yeah, so the audio-visual end of things definitely would be very important, or the visual end would be as important to the audio with us. So after we finish that short, um, we reimagine that as the music video for our first single, True Romance. And that was more of a stand like standalone dance music video, which was, I think, what was originally in my head for the visuals of the project. And we were really, really delighted with how the short came out. Is this more of a... Um, I mean, it is. Just a, it's a short film that covers some prescient uh, issues in Ireland. Like there's stuff in there about just the housing crisis and the cost of living, and you know, relationship issues and the drug problem. So it was great to be able to make something like that with uh, an incredible artist like Jamie. True Romance is the second track on the album, and it was the first track that you put out, Joe. We talked before about this song, but how does it feel a couple of years on? Uh, was this the first song that you made together? Was it was it like one of the guiding principles that you had? I mean, that line, uh, this is a love song, just always stands out as, again, almost like the title of the album, like a guiding light for, for the band, maybe? Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, from a, from a creation perspective, that song originated from this piano recording that I had um, that my fiancé, Theo, recorded back in 2012. So it's like she was when we first met in BIM, she was trying to write the song, and uh, we were in the DIT uh, Rathmines Music School, um, and uh, I had like a crappy little interface and like a fifty-seven or something like that, and recorded the piano, and um, nothing really ever came of of the song from Theo. Uh, she never really decided to to follow that line of of being an artist in her own right, and so I came across the recording a couple of months into myself and David working together. And how did, how did you find this 
like ten, almost ten year old track. How deep, how deep do your folders go on? <laughs> I think, on I think I had like found a, a hard drive that I hadn't seen in ages, and I plugged it in and went through it to see what was on it. This is a love song. spoke to if you ask that question to any musician and you're interviewing after this that they will tell you that they have a full working memory of where everything they've ever made like is or maybe not everyone but i feel like most people have an idea of oh shit i I put that away somewhere just going back into it kind of to spark yeah because basically joe sent me the recording then and i went through it and not quite chopped it up but just reworked it into the the loop that that it was and then um, I actually need to get back to doing this, but the way I used to write music and that would, um, I find you get to a certain like type of flow, um, like late at night or I do anyway, if it's, let's say past 10 or 11, you're like a, a little bit tired and put something on in the background visually that is engaging enough, but not too engaging that it becomes like o- overwhelming. Like, so maybe like, uh, a, a, I don't want to say a B movie, but like, um, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, there's a film called Me and a, a Boy and His Dog. It's like a sort of a 70s dystopian horror sort of thing. So visually, there's some interesting stuff going on. But if you if you mute the sound, you know, it's... It's, yeah, just sort of something to, to like, distract you enough, but not quite pull you in. So sort of working away on, like, little melodies while looking at this visual with uh, the chords on a loop and that sort of trad like right hand riff sort of came to me and then the lyrics and that's how we wrote that came in here then and and fleshed it out yeah fleshed it out from I was doing it on this like little OP one this little sampler um synth thing and then came into the studio and and worked on it yeah in my memory real. it came together pretty quickly um from that techno thing that we were talking about one of the one of the like um kind of main touch points from that was using the pitch uh bend basically on the 808 so when we have like the congas the 808 congas and like just like playing around with the pitching on that stuff and that then became one of the kind of key ingredients for us in terms of like making melodies happen with those so there's there's that happens in in true romances a like a pitch conga melody thing um so we were able to take that inspiration from the techno thing and apply it to what I guess is more of yeah, a... Yeah, the, the drum programming from that uh, techno piece is really prevalent across the whole record. Yeah. There's a lot of 808s and 909s and a 707 kick and 
pretty much like that. That is all we used for in terms of the actual production. The drums and percussion is extremely like eighties, nineties garage. There isn't like that. It's some of it's been put through some more modern gear, but it really is straight off those drum machines and and nothing else. I think there's maybe one other sample. Yeah. Um, that isn't straight off of a machine. And just coming back to that line, this is a love song. Is that almost you speaking back to like uh, Joe, like you and Theo? Is is that how you kind of uh, updated that song? Maybe uh, I can't take any uh, credit for that one because the, the lyrics on on uh, True Romance are all David. Oh, uh, yeah. Actually, I think that that song is very sad. Um, I was sort of, as you can tell, this is a love song. It's kind of quite a <laughs> a loaded statement. Um, I think that was just a little hook that I had in my head for for quite a while. Um, there is a moment on a bicep song where there's a sample in the background and that's not the lyric that, that that's in it. But I just kept hearing elements of that sample with that lyric. So I was like sort of almost like reinterpreting a memory of... Do you ever do that where you're like... You, you remember a piece of art or music or something and then you go back and revisit it and it's... it's not what you think Not what you thought it was, mm. you know? So my memory of this little background hook from this bicep song was that lyric. And then I just had that written down, wrote the verses, and then was like, oh, that that slots right in. End of Time is track number three. And we talk about all of the stuff that you're doing in the studio. There's a cool distorted vocal on this one. And like the vocals are really interesting throughout the album. Is there a case, though, of almost trying to do too much in the studio where you kind of like, we have to pull back here, we're, do- we're trying to do too much? It's definitely, definitely possible, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I think that's something that some of these songs kind of existed for longer than than others obviously that's makes <laughs> that's a stupid statement yeah. but i mean we were sitting on some of them for longer and when we came around to creating the songs that came later on the album it was like oh we actually did we kind of overdid it on those earlier songs let's kind of pair back a little bit um so yeah i think end of time like for for me end of time true romance and i'm stretching your grave they're all kind of in a similar tone um sonically and and what they are what they mean as songs um we had um jackie beverly on this track as well she's she's mixed in there um singing in in unison basically with with david on this so it was nice to add her voice to it as a as an additional texture because i love love her voice um i can't remember the lyric writing on this one was that was that, the, also there, was that you? Th- that was me. There was a, there's a full version of this song that had um, this was nearly another kid's song. Oh, and yeah, you could yeah. believe it. Oh really? Um, I mean, it was essentially the exact same production, which would have been quite a pivot. <laughs> how, how do you decide on the uh, divorce proceedings with former other kid's songs? You like this one is mine, Luke. You can have that. Well, it was just a case of well, I wrote this entire song, so I'll be <laughs> I'll, I'll be, be taking it with that. me. Yeah. <laughs> how do how do you reimagine it so as a the cope song? I, I mean, I, I brought it to the table when we were in other game We were like. Um, pulling and pushing in different directions sonically and everything after our, our debut album is um, there's quite a mix of influences on there and everything that made the last release we had which is called Electric Dream um, you know managed to ride that line I think w- well enough to, to work and the stuff that didn't work after that point was far too left field and this is just a case of that was a song I wrote um, very similar tonally to Drew Romance as Joe said um, and then I think Circa Richardson actually helped me just rearrange it slightly, just chopped up a bridge and moved a couple of bits around, and we came in here to finish it off, and yeah, Jackie added some great 
textural stuff with her vocal. And as you said, yeah, there was definitely uh, with the equipment in the clinic here, like um, a point where you know we were going way too far and gun ho with effects and that kind of thing. And there, there is a lot of electronic effects on the vocals. There's a lot of vocoders and that sort of thing across the record. But in terms of delays and reverbs, it actually is quite um, relaxed compared to more modern production that you'd have out from like a, I don't want to say a Gen Z act, but like a, you know, a hyper pop act or something. There's none of that crazy. There's nothing too crazy going on. It's more like an overriding distortion or something. Yeah, I think because we both come from like that background of kind of the indie thing and 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 probably would have spent a lot of our like teens listening to that kind of music i think we probably would bring that logic to how we approach the vocals as opposed to just like going crazy with the effects and stuff like that track number four back on my bullshit is one of my favorite songs of the year have the floor just tell me about the creation of this song tell me about the use of the siren in the middle of it as well yeah oh the site well the siren actually have you seen um okay there's a public enemy song what is it um, there's a great scene in the film Pineapple Express where where Red the, <laughs> wasn't expecting this. where Red the, the dealer is it's like a montage scene of him going to um, they're like going to the, the like big you know what do you call a showdown and there's this Public Enemy song playing and I can't remember the name of the track but it's one of their big hits but in that is just the original like rave siren does it bring the noise? I think it's bring the noise mm-hmm. here yeah but I'm pretty sure Fight it's the done. That's what it's called. Oh yeah, yeah. On an SH101, which is the synth, just sitting in the corner of the studio here with us. In terms of the creation, basically, I came in here one day. I was sat in here, and there is a spring reverb behind you, um, which is just a type of. It's like an outboard analog spring reverb, and I had an 808 kick going into it. Um, I didn't realize it was patched in when I turned it on, turned the speakers up, and there was just this like. Shh, 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 sound that was coming from just this kick somehow it sounded when i came in i was like this sounds like gilliband like <laughs> yeah, it sounded yeah. that really heavy distorted reverb vibe and uh basically when david was playing that just the bass line came to my head um we started playing around with that um and just kind of built it all up quite organically from there it, it was over the course of the day because i think we were at lunchtime then and we, we said like okay joe if you go I'm going to clean this session up. Go out and just try and write something. Mm. And we had the the lyric at that point. Um, what? When was that? 2020. I think so. Yeah. I remember just thinking that year that you know, like at the end of the 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 OED or whatever, they enter like a phrase or something oh, yeah. in, into the dictionary. And I just remember thinking, how has nobody released a song called "Back on My Bullshit"? You <laughs> yeah. know. And then since I've like been on Spotify and typed it back in my bullshit, and there's so many songs called yeah. back in my bullshit, but they're all like hip hop and rap songs. I'm sure everyone was independently working on their big back in my bullshit hit. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I just had that hook, and then Joe went out and just got as sassy as he could on the on the verses. Yeah. Um, one of the big inspirations for this song is "Work It" by Marie Davidson. Um, probably the more famous version of that is the Soul Wax remix, which was huge for a while. But um, Mark O'Brien, a.k.a. Royal Yellow, a.k.a. Enemies bass player, showed that to us in here one day. I guess it was probably, you know, a week or two before yeah. we, we wrote that session. So that she's got, like, Marie Davis is, like, French-Canadian, so has that, you know, um, seeing kind of English as your second language kind of vibe to it. Um, so I went out and, and wrote the lyrics and came in and recorded like the sassiest vocal I could as a as a placeholder. We should send it to you. It's pretty outstanding. <laughs> it still exists, but it'll never see the light of day. <laughs> um, 
and yeah we basically we kind of like reached out to some friends and be like do we know anybody who is a french speaker um and in the end we were put in touch with a friend of a friend um mish moreno is her name and uh, she's um an incredible recording engineer and, and mixer uh she works with hani arani the um Polish, Polish piano player. Piano player, yeah. Um, she's based in Berlin. Yeah, she works in in, uh, in Funk House, which is a really cool spot in Berlin, where Neil Niels Fram has like a, a space in there. He plays in there all the time. Yeah, we were put in touch with Mish, and we got on a Zoom call with her, and she just completely got it straight away. So we just sent her everything. She sent us back a like a bunch of different takes, and then we kind of like chopped up and and compiled it together in the way that made most sense to us. Yeah. I think that was it, really. Yeah, we just comped the vocal from her stacks of takes, and that was it. Yeah, it's it's quite different, obviously, from the first three tracks tonally, you know. But I think one of the things that we wanted to achieve with this album was, for me, it's kind of it's a little bit concepty because I think there's different songs on there without it sounding too like diffuse as a record, but it's like these are different vibes that you might experience on a night out. Like, so one might be a night out in the club in town like I think True Romance and those kind of songs are more like being in festival, being in a field at a festival at like 2am on Saturday night, you know, it's that kind of euphoric vibe to it, whereas Back on My Bullshit is more like a stomping kind of energy to it, you know? Yeah, I, th- I think the um, techno piece we had made was originally titled After Hours uh, after the Martin Scorsese film, if you've ever seen that. Uh, I don't it's, think so, like but bit... I am on a big Martin Scorsese buzz at the moment. Okay, so. it's, it's a very bizarre comedy it's he made in the yeah. late 70s, or is it very early 80s? But it, it's basically like New York at like its most crime-ridden, and this guy just has, you know, a bizarro... A night, night of it. A night of it. And then we were going to call that techno piece After Hours, and then obviously the weekend record came out called After Hours. <laughs> and... Damn you, the weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, we can't compete with that. <laughs> that. But the same concept of, you know, it, it is sort of like Dancer, the album, really does sort of in a way it you know I don't want to call it a concept record as Joe said but um it does sort of just take place over one evening you c- or one night you could consider it in that way genre wise that it takes you from 7 p.m. to or 9 p.m. to 9 a.m. yeah that's a very eloquent way of putting it well see i i throw these things out and he makes them sound better <laughs> i got to see you guys uh twice over the summer playing it all together now and another love story and the song stood out both times in my hazy uh, festival brain <laughs> at the time but uh, did you enjoy the shows do you see the cope as a live thing do you see it as like this studio thing where you throw so much at it um i probably en- enjoy them in different ways but probably enjoy the live more uh, the live show more because it's it's more kind of engaging and it's great being in here and you know the space is amazing and it's nice being able to kind of have any possible sound at your fingertips but like just being like another love story in particular that show was so so good seeing people engage with the music that we're creating as i said for such a long time i've been a session musician and not really created so actually seeing people interact with your own creation your own art is uh is super fulfilling and uh yeah back of my bullshit always goes goes down really really well the energy's good for that one i think tell me about the live setup that you've got like in general like uh when People are going to be hearing this. It's going to be a couple of weeks in the past, but you're playing the complex on uh, in the middle of December, launching the album. Like, what's your your setup? Is it just uh, just so extensive? Is it like how how much stuff can we fit in the van to bring to the show? Uh, well, it actually all fits in the back of a jeep, which is handy. Uh, it is basically. I mean, it's kind of like a little mini studio in a way. Like, it is. 
we are using Ableton to to sequence tracks and synths and all of that. But there is a maybe it goes a little bit further just in terms of um, even the the hardware we're using is is not a hundred percent suited to being on the road yeah (laughs) not being out of a studio um yeah for me it was more about making a compelling and engaging live show from an audience perspective because i think the thing with a lot of dance music a lot of the time is is just like you know somebody on stage kind of twirling knobs or you know interacting with an ableton push or something like that and whilst the music is always usually really really good it's just i think it's less of a compelling thing and i guess that's why you have people you know with, with big light shows and visual shows and I was just kind of like, why can't why can't we do all of that? So, like, on a lot of the tracks live, I play electric bass, which there isn't really electric bass on the records. A lot of it is synth bass, but I think from an audience perspective, it's more compelling to see somebody actually moving about playing an instrument like that rather than just standing. And, and there is a lot of weight to just having electric bass in a PA and in a sub For sure. on a stage. That you know, even though you do get you know, let's say more depth with um, electronic subs, it's there's something about live bass that just really um, takes people in and we were talking about the audio visual or the visual end of things really being as important as the audio that all comes together in the live show so we're using a uh, we built the show with our really good pal Connor Biddle and basically we're using this uh, scream it's like a transparent mesh that sits in front of us and there's a visual show that is ties in all of the yeah the visual world that the music lives in and that sort of floats in front of us um, across the the whole set, so yeah, the the live show is where where it all comes together. Yeah, it took me a while to realize that was going on when I saw you it all together now, because we had come from somewhere else and it was lashing rain. I remember and uh, like two a.m. or something like that, very very late at night anyway, and mm. it was like, wait, it's not just them up. What's going on? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, it's it's an incredible piece of technology. Like for all intents and purposes, it's completely see through, but it it takes projection incredibly well. That's class. Uh, track number five is called Lonely Louder really smooth kind of like a palate cleanser after Back of My Bullshit who is the vocal on this one? Uh, that's Shiv oh okay great yeah, up and coming uh, artist wish I could be there watching you watching me wish you could be here feeling me feeling free but how do I release my mind I've been making the record we were both like writing ourselves but there were some songs that we felt that even though we we actually wrote the, the vocals on that with Shiv we wrote it collectively the three of us but there, you know there's some songs just like oh I think this suits my voice and then there's other songs just like I think we should get somebody else to sing this Um, you know we it, it just kind of adds to the texture the overall changes of texture across the record to have other people on it uh, the original like the piano that's on that came from this like in another deep dive into my uh, college uh, hard drive where I wrote this like 
Radiohead inspired song and I just took the piano chords from that and chopped them up and and kind of made them that like kind of classic 90s like show me love style syncopated piano thing and uh, yeah we kind of built the instrumental up a little bit from there and then um, had you worked with Shiv? I know I'd done some live stuff with her I can't remember how we uh, Joe had done some live stuff with her and Shiv had been in here for a big uh Denise Child and Narrow Lane session oh, there was oh, these, wow. like a b- bunch of like revolving door sessions with tons of people during COVID which were quite um, amazing but all within regulations as well. oh of course <laughs> yeah, well actually I was testing everyone at the door um, which was we didn't have a single positive test great in that in that period and, that, and then it was just so bizarre in this country how much like you know the, the government just said okay look we're just going to let it rain <laughs> um, but yeah um, and then yeah I was really taken by um, Shiv's voice and just what a legend she is in her songwriting and stuff in, in the moment so uh, we invited her in and she came in and the three of us wrote that in a day and then um, we just I think she, she sat with it then for the week it was it was over Christmas mm. and then Joe came in here first time I trusted Joe to come in the studio by himself <laughs> <laughs> and recorded the vocal yeah that was like maybe 23rd or 20 like it wasn't it surely wasn't Christmas I think it was in that period after after Christmas, that sort of lull where you've seen oh, your yeah. family enough, and you're kind Rainbow of like, Rainbow. "Oh, how many more times can we watch Lawrence of Arabia?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I think you're right. Um, yeah, like lyrically, we kind of worked it all together, but the the concept came pretty quickly. A lot of the stuff that I've kind of written is the idea of of that experience where you're out with your friends, uh, or you know, again at a festival with your friends, and maybe at some point in the night you kind of get lost or separated from everybody else but you're still having a great time and you just kind of lose yourself in whatever performance you're seeing at the time and it's that realization that you're having like a collective shared experience with all of these strangers around you but everybody is feeling the exact same thing at the same time so that's kind of where where that came and she was also telling us about her 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 dad was really into 90s dance like Rui da Silva that kind of thing yeah yeah um which was a nice bonding point in, in the session which is that kind of leads us on to find another way which I think has a real classic dance feel to it. Is it like 90s dance that most um, that you're kind of most drawn towards in terms of like thinking about the sound of the cope? You've mentioned the blaze a couple of times. I as think well. f- for me it probably is. I think during the like 2000s I was probably less interested in or less engaged rather, not interested, less engaged with dance music regularly but uh I just remember it was like a really formative formative experience for me watching Top 30 Hits. You remember that that TV oh, yeah, show yeah. where they were just like show, you know, it was like top of the pops but with no production value because it was just the music videos. And uh, it's basically the only way that you could like hear music on the TV apart from maybe like Dave Fanning I think fully. Had a weekend show. Yeah, 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 yeah. I actually remember just as a quick aside I remember seeing uh, I was I guess what like 12 or 13 and seeing uh, the video for crawling by linking lincoln park and i was like what the hell is this i need to have this and went out and bought the album straight away so thank you top 30 hits um but yeah every week on top 30 hits there would be like a new ministry of sound song and like the 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 video like every other like you'd be like a spice girl song coming in with like a new hotshot video and then the ministry of sound song was just like the ministry of sound record label cover and every like 20 seconds it just like spun or flipped or something like that um so this isn't a new thing for you, the the dance element of it. It's not something that you've come to in the past couple of years. No, I think um, like I the, the song that I always kind of point to is a song called "Touch Me" by Rui da Silva, which 
full disclosure, I haven't gone deep on, on Rui's back catalogue, but that song was the only one that ever really stood out to me. And stuff like, you know, children, uh, like Robert Miles and Sash and all that sort of stuff. So like a full-on 90s vibe. Um, and then in the early 2000s, that kind of moved into a more like house-inspired, I guess, like off the back of, of Daft Punk, um, making it big, but like songs like Starlight by the Superman Lovers and... Um, uh, Don't Call Me Baby by Madison Avenue, like all these amazing, just they're like they're pop songs, but with but with like house music productions or dance music productions. So that's kind of what I'm reaching back to when, when we're working together. And what about you, David? Are you kind of m- more like you know the Blaze, that kind of the new newer style of dance music that got you into it? I, I really like the audio visual sort of thing that they do. I'd say dance wise, probably would have been very into the Chemical Brothers and Daft Punk and that like um, and French Touch just um, that use of the studio as an instrument in for electronic music. I think those are two artists who probably have done it better than than anyone, or better than most. Um, but yeah, I would, would, would have been very familiar with most of the acts Joe's talking about, but that wouldn't have been my, my avenue um, sp- specifically. You mentioned Daft Punk. Did you listen to the drumless version of Random Access Memories? That is on my list of records we were talking about earlier that I have to listen to before Christmas. Are you interested in it? Like, can't you just imagine what it's like anyway without the drums? I saw Anthony Fontano, you know, like the the needle drop guy. (laughs) I didn't actually watch the video, but the title was Daft Punk Have Ruined Random Access Memories. I'd love to hear that with um, the vocal muted as well, because that's something I really enjoy doing is um, if I'm producing. For someone is just getting to a point where we just mute let's say the vocals and the drums or like a lot of the live instruments and just hear like what's happening in the background and where is the space um we were talking earlier about um our favorite records of the year and i was texting joe this morning just uh telling you telling him that i was going to tell you my favorite record of the year was sarah band by handle because that is genuinely all i've been listening to just been listening to like the barry linden soundtrack (laughs) but um you know when you mute things off and you get to hear like the atmospherics and that sort of thing i i listen to a lot of that sort of music in you know similar music in soundtracks and scores anyway so i'd be very interested in hearing it without drums because you're really going to pick out um moments that you you wouldn't have otherwise heard and obviously the songs exist in their purest form you know as the final version of of the album that they released you know, be very interested in hearing what's going on there. I think it's a really interesting approach in terms of them like releasing it as an album, as opposed to just being like, you know, on their mailing list or on their website, being like, here are the stems if you want to go and listen. You know, but actually releasing a drumless version of the album is it's kind of ballsy. But I guess when you're Daft Punk, you can do whatever the hell you want. I like from my perspective, I just think it's a money grabber yeah. sort of yeah. thing. You know, it's like how right. can we add more tracks to Spotify? How can we get more people to buy uh, another album by us, even though we finished up? Have you heard it? No, no, I have no, I have no interest. I, I don't like random access memories. <laughs> okay. yeah. I listened to random access memories earlier in the year for the first time in, I guess, like six years, and I was like, "There's some good stuff on this, but it's hella bloated." I did, you know. Yeah, I, I honestly would say it is a money grabber though, because I was in, we were in Paris recently for a show, and um, I stayed on for an extra day after Job and myself and my girlfriend saw this live performance dance thing. It was like Damien Damien Jallet, big um, choreographer over there in France, but it was this huge. Um, live free performance but the actual soundtrack I found out later was done by Daft Punk oh, okay. so I reckon they're just sitting in Paris having a nice laugh and pulling the drums off their old records <laughs> going yeah let's put that, up, that one up right before Christmas 
Track 7 is called Iha David. You directed a video for this that looks amazing. I think it was shot in a museum in Antwerp, where you live? Yeah, so Iha was... Um, it was the first thing we ever wrote. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. We, uh, we came, The first time I came into the studio, I think David had just got one, one of the... Uh, a new, uh, bought a new synth and I sat down and was flicking through the presets and landed on one and started playing this thing so that exists like the very first thing in a completely different guise um, but then we came back to it and yeah before we started making the, the techno before we turned on a drum machine basically <laughs> we thought oh maybe we'll just make sleep play this music you know Yeah. and it existed in, in that form until we I think we were that was one of the last tracks on the record in terms of we were quite near the end and we thought hang on a sec what's that's not quite. That's not too deep on the hard drive at that stage. But let's um, let's revisit that, and yeah. Then we had our friend Carlsbad in to do a lot of um, atmospheric vocals and that sort of uh, finished it off. Is, is she the voice on the song? She's the vocal on the song. Yeah, all those lovely oohs and ahs. Um, and then yeah, in the meantime, so we had shot that music video for True Romance in Antwerp um, with a choreographer called Zoe Ash Brown, and. She's based in the Opera Ballet over there. Um, she's Irish. And someone who was on the board of her ballet was also on the board of the Fine Art Museum of Antwerp. Saw the, the music video we had done and just loved it and said, uh, we have been renovating this you know, national museum for the last 11 years. Uh, we have just put the rooms and the Van Eyck's and the, a billion quid worth of art back in the walls. If you guys would like to pitch to filming it for a couple of days, Please do. Wow. So, yeah. The he like, re- actually, no, no, we're not interested. <laughs> yeah, a guy called Stephen Brachter. So, uh, like, what a sweetheart, but that wouldn't, like, I don't want to disheartened. I love it, but that would never happen in a million years here. Uh, one of the defining images of the uh, like COVID times, I guess, is when the National Gallery opened its doors and Denise Chyla got yeah. to shoot in there. But, yeah, that that was probably so startling just because it's so rare that you would see it i think was it emma was it the national gallery that she was in there was a whole series of things yeah. with other voices because they had fontaines in come in and jail um and that was great to see but i can only imagine the absolute red tape thing yeah i don't know if you get it now like yeah and you know we we aren't exactly uh this huge established cultural body um we're not even from belgium <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so they let us in for a couple of days. There's a lot of people that you had in there as well. Yeah, we had, um, I mean, we had like 20 plus dancers from the Opera Ballet. Like Antwerp is sort of a center of, um, sort of a, a world center of dance. Like um, that'd be one of them. It's a great place to live in in Europe to do it because you're, you're really close to the Netherlands, which is Den Haag. The Hague in the Netherlands is like the sort of European center of it. There's a place there called um, Netherlands Dance Theater. And that's like, thought of as the best sort of contemporary neoclassical dance company in the world it's probably if you want to like have a have a job or you know even nine to what's not a nine to five but like an actual salaried job in dance that is probably the highest level um you know that's your i don't know your i wouldn't say you're man united but (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) absolutely reaching for (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) um just going off one here but yeah, so we got in to film this basically a weird experimental short film that we pitched them about the marriage of the old world and, and the new world, which was what they're building. They had done with the architecture of the building. They'd built this new ultra modern museum within this old Victorian museum. And we said that Iha is the old world and back of my bullshit is the new world and made this um, sort of little weird experimental dance film that segues into 
Super Camp Electro party, and they loved it. <laughs> Well, they're yeah. European after all, so... Yeah, we're a very European band. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, Joe, you live in Berlin. How do you... How is the city, first of all? Lots of Irish people over there? Yeah, I think there's like 30,000 Irish people living in Berlin at the moment. Is um, there actually? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, not obviously just new people because people who've lived there for a long time. Um, yeah, Berlin is great. Um, I, I love it. I feel like an adult for the first time in my life, at, which is nice to say at 34 years of age. A good um, music city? Um, it's a kind of a funny music city. It's good in the sense that like every single touring band in the world who goes on tour comes through Berlin, which you don't always get in Dublin. Some bands like just stop in the UK and leave it there. Um, so I've seen a lot of, of live gigs this year. Um, there's obviously big techno scene, a big dance music scene and club culture. There's a pretty good jazz scene as well. If you like wander into random bars and there'll be some cool like jazz trio playing. One thing I miss, like if you're in Dublin and you walk into the Workman's Club or Grand Social or Wheelands or wherever on any random night of the week, you're probably going to find a band, like a local up and coming band playing um, that you've never heard of before. And that scene doesn't really exist in the same way. I think because Germany's so big, it's kind of more spread out. Whereas in Ireland, obviously, everyone kind of concentrates towards Dublin. Um, but yeah, overall, I love living there. It's a great, great city to live. And how do you guys work the distance thing? Are you sending each other files? Are you like setting dates to come back to Dublin, come back to the clinic and make sure that you've got some new music to work on? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I think we're making a bit of a plan for next year. We have a few. Um, there's going to be at least one more single from the record and that'll be out. And then after that, we have a couple of tracks ready to go just for singles next year. But I think we're going to take a new approach to the whole thing. Um, so a lot of the synths here, but basically the clinic sort of business model has changed from um, we had that great period pre-COVID where we were able to just, you know, make full use of it. But half the synth and drum machine end of things in here just don't get used day to day just based on, you know, if an act is coming in, it, it it's there's very little like playtime at the end of a session to even get into to scratch the surface of that stuff. Whereas, um, you know, I'm doing some stuff out, outside of the clinic and the cope that is more getting trying to get into scoring. And there's a lot of scope for just messing around with atmospherics by yourself in a very small room without, you know, uh, perfectly soundproofed studio space. So I'll be cannibalizing a lot of the bits and pieces behind me here the since and taking them to Antwerp so the goal is to just sort of set some some dates to go back and forth between the two cities there's an overnight sleeper train as well if uh if one of us develops a fear of flying yeah or just wants to improve our carbon footprint or that <laughs> uh yeah i think that that'll the main intention will be just to find a block of time where we can kind of just get together and uh and in the interim kind of just work on stuff individually and bring those ideas then together passed out is track number eight this one goes hard tell me about uh making this track this to me is what i was saying earlier on about like each song can be representative of an experience i have never taken ketamine <laughs> but i've heard people describe what it feels like being in in a k-hole and kind of that's where i was it mentally and passed out like the idea of like being in a club and having lost everybody and maybe not really being maybe you're just drunk um, spiraling and you're spiraling and having a bad time so with like some of the sounds on that we <laughs> tried to make them as woozy as possible to like there is some seriously detuned bass on there yeah that maybe pushes the limits of <laughs> how far you can go <laughs> Yeah. 
I think Young Fathers is a big influence in this track, production-wise. Oh. Um, I'm trying to think what the two big... Not, not Shame and In My View. I mean, it's sort of, if you take the sort of depth of bass of In My View and then give it the, the pace of Shame, that was what I was trying to, to go for in terms of the production. Um, and yeah, we got quite woozy. There's some MS-20 lead lines that sort of counter off each other in the chorus that... This, yeah, that's, there's some... It's quite intense, this one. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, the wooziness kind of leads into the idea of like not like actively trying to make the listener sick, but like to to imbue that idea, you know. <laughs> uh, Solace, Solace is track number nine. I love the chorus to this and the outro as well. You're singing, you're still my friend, you're still my friend. Just a, ni- a nice sentiment, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh, me and David hoping that we're still friends after <laughs> uh, spending time in the studio together. No, uh, the lyrics on this one were written by Circa Richardson. So uh, we the instrumental we worked on together myself and david uh and i think it was another another uh <laughs> deep dive on the hard drive for me and chopping up the piano chords and, and making a new rhythm with them and uh we worked on it together then in the clinic and then we sent it to circa and she top lined it she's not singing on the track is she she's she's buried in there uh oh, okay. i'm i'm the main vocal on that one um in terms of like the higher register and david's on there as well um You'll hear her in the choruses if you if you if you if you're listening if you, on good headphones. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's some nice layered harmonies and stuff going on in there. Uh, James Eager, our uh, pal who mixed the record as well, that was um, he said that was the song that was maybe genre-wise the furthest from what he was he would listen to, but the one that stuck with him the most. And I think that is just a testament to Circa's lyricism, yeah, and songwriting. <laughs> I meant to ask this earlier, but how do you find the singing singing aspect with the cope? Because you didn't do singing in Otherkin, David. You don't sing. Well, you do backing vocals, mm-hmm. I guess, Joe. But did you always know at the start of the cope that you were going to be singing on some of the tracks anyway? At least were you happy to rise to the occasion? Uh, I think it was definitely a bit daunting for me. Like Joe is is very much like a, a vocalist. Like he he does that live in the acts he plays with. Um, I didn't do it in other kind. I'm not a strong vocalist in any way. It's something I try to train just for um, songwriting. And in my songwriting before, um, in that post other kind pre code period, there was just a lot of um, mucking about with production and tuning and that sort of thing to make things palatable, just to be even to be able to d- display an idea. And I'd be very interested in. in just um, 
vocal effects. So, I mean, I'm using a lot of uh, tuning and uh, like programmed effects in our live show. So, I mean, once I could tell that that was actually going to work, uh, it's been really fun. But, I mean, the record, as you know, there's a lot of guest vocalists in there. And I think going forward that I'd be very interested in, in seeing how far we can push it with, um, you know, like great a great dance album like from the, the Chemical Brothers might have in in the past might have had you know five or six vocalists on it and now I mean they're one no geography from 2019 I think that just had Aurora and she's almost like the voice of the record in a way but it allows that you know them and her to you know she could do something like that that's separate from her own artist project but um, yeah I've, I've enjoyed the the singing end of things but I think I'm looking forward to seeing who we can collab with vocally uh, after this record as well yeah I love it personally um yeah i've always sang um in any with any of the artists i play with like james and circa and stuff there's always loads of backing vocals and i really enjoy that element of it like myself and theo who play we've played with both james and circa and a bunch of other people we tend to like go and arrange the backing vocals ourselves like theo has a um, a background in choral arrangement and obviously she's the, the theodora burn ensemble as well um so yeah i just i love singing it's one of my favorite parts of performing so it kind of just made sense to me, really. And also, again, it goes back to that in, like the audience engagement thing, you know, and getting people to sing along. You know? One of the songs that isn't on the album is your cover of Missing by Everything is uh, Everything, Everything But The Girl, but the girl yeah. uh, which blew me away when I saw you live, especially your vocal, Joe. Thank uh, you. I, I was listening back to our chat a couple of years ago and you did mention that Missing is one of your karaoke songs. So you took it a step further and you actually <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. Ma- made, made the song to, together. But like singing that live, was that... Uh, like the first time that you did that maybe like in as the cope was that a little bit daunting or were you like nah I nailed this nah, I, I, nailed I, this. I, I, I have that one in my <laughs> that I is that one Joe's in. karaoke like trump card yeah 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 we there was a, a birthday party a couple of years ago um was it, it your, my, was my your birthday, birthday party yeah yeah and uh we we're we were in Dingle for the weekend and we were like, oh, we'll, you know, it'll at some point it'll devolve into a karaoke party. <laughs> so that was my way of starting the karaoke party. Yeah. I was like, oh, let's set this up. I'm sure I'll get up and sing something. And I sang that song. Oh, yeah. How did anybody follow that? <sighs> That's... I mean, everyone was just, the blood was up, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They were hyped. Um, yeah, going back to what we were saying earlier on about like top 30 hits and stuff like that. And that influence on, on the dance music that I was getting. Um, that song, the like... Um, the remixed version, obviously, of, of 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 missing. I think it just it perfectly encapsulates everything that I'm trying to write in terms of like there's just such an amazing beat. The content of and context of the lyrics and the vocals are really really sad, you know. Um, and there's like a yearning to it. Um, and it, I find that I just connect with that a lot. And uh, so it kind of made sense, like during. We, we felt that, I think when you we were originally putting the live show together, it was like the energy maybe of a live set, particularly if you're only doing half an hour, it can be hard to get the flow right. And then we felt we were in a good place with that. And then for some of the festivals, we were asked to play a longer set and it just felt more festival friendly than maybe something like, I don't know, Solace Solace or yeah. something like that. It's where Solace Solace is like a little bit darker tonally and um, missing just felt right. So. Revolution 636 is track number 10. Another really cool vocal on this. Who is uh, this that we're listening to? So that is, once again, that's Mish Moreno. Um, from Back of My Bullshit. Yeah, uh, from Back of My Bullshit, who um, yeah did, did a great job once again. I think we just, 
we were closer to finishing the record, and this was the this was the last song mm-hmm. we made for the record. And same again. Did you demo? You must have demoed. I demoed. Yeah. It, yeah. There's a sassy sassy Joe version of it yeah, somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's like your alter ego. Yeah. Yes. This is also, yeah. I think we were like we were writing this song, and we said oh, we need to get a three o three line onto the record. So you know, uh, like a a Roland three o three is like the ultimate like acid house bass line. Uh, you, the most recognizable one is probably from uh, "The Funk" by Daft Punk, when it breaks into that uh, halfway through through the track. And I yeah, how they made that three o three line was basically similar to. I mean, this is probably the '90s version going through the hard drives. Basically, I think your man Tama had one for years, and they went back through his and just eventually he programmed maybe I don't know. Don't don't want to bastardize this or, or just misquote them, but uh, however many he programmed, they just went back through them until they found one that fit in their track, and we did something similar. Just went through. It was like, oh, here's one I here's one I made earlier, yeah. <laughs> and nudged it around, made that beat, and then Joe put the vocal down. Very similar production approach to back my bullshit in that way. Hmm. It came together very quickly, and then I think you sat out in the green room here while I just cleaned up the session and I wrote the lyrics. Yeah, again, lyrically, it's like. It's it's kind of about empowerment in terms of like the choruses you love me when I'm dancing, but it's it's not necessarily a reference to somebody else. It's like self-referential. So it's like if you're feeling anxious and like trying to kind of connect with that feeling of the joy of dancing in a crowd or dancing with your friends. So it's like um, it's like a self-motivation song. And then um, there's like a sample on there of uh, of Carl Rogers, who's like the godfather of cognitive behavioral therapy so it all kind of ties in um you know the idea of of cbt is changing your thought processes from negative to positive so that's kind of that sort of ties into where the name the cope came from as well which was Mm. um maybe you can tell us a bit more yeah i I I was sitting that sitting on it for ages i just had that name in my head for some future project that may or may not come to fruition um there was an episode of the blind boy podcast where he was like democratizing cognitive behavioral therapy basically i think he's kind of like democratized me- like mental health discussion for for a lot of our generation generation below in general but it, basically the idea with cbt is like when you're having those like intense moments of fear or catastrophization thinking that like you like the worst thing that's going to happen you change the idea like you know i'm not if 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 i fall over my open shoelaces and everybody laughs at me i'm not going to die you know what I mean? It'll, I'll cope. So I think that was the, the phrase that he used, like that whatever happens, I'll cope. So that cope came from there. Great. Uh, the penultimate song is called Forever Me. What part of the night are we at now? Is this uh, kind of right at the end? I have in my notes that this song sounds like it's almost fraying at the edges as it goes on. I think this is the, the last piece of like live music you're, you're feeling on the night, if you know what I mean. You're like at the, the depths of... Of, of how far you can go maybe it's a very intense moment for everyone and, and after this is there, there is that lull and it's it's just before the sun the sun rises this is maybe the last moment of darkness yeah the inspiration for this uh, there's this amazing video uh, on YouTube of uh, this guy interviewing these like ravers in the UK somewhere in like the middle of the UK um, and it's like the Monday morning after the whole weekend. <laughs> after Fantasia, I think, which is some club night, I think, or some festival outside Manchester. I'm, okay, not, I'm okay. not sure. But Fantasia was the, the big event that they were all at. So they're it. all like heading back to the, car, to the field where all the cars are parked and there's, this guy's just interviewing these two people and they're like still 
dancing. There's no music going on, but they're just dancing with each other. And uh, and she she says, "Yeah, I could keep dancing forever, me." And uh, so I just thought that was really cool. Cool. And then again, lyrically, um, when I was writing this one, it's like, "Oh, I'm so sad. How can how how can I feel better about myself?" Um, so it was kind of you know I don't have a lot of experience of 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 writing, so it was nice for me to be able to kind of delve into that a little bit more. Um, I guess that's interesting though that there is real depth to the lyrics as well. Like you know, you can think of a dance album, and one of the things I was wondering about are you just kind of like the lyrics are just a way to get to the you know the chorus, the pumping mm. part sort of a thing. But there is like depth to it, thought we, put into it. It's not throwaway. Definitely, yeah. We've had discussions about this because like. If you think of something like Can't Do Without You by Caribou, which is an amazing song, it's more or less just one line the whole way through. So we've had discussions and kind of like butted heads a couple of times about like whether this song should just be, let's find a really cool lyric that we can hang it on or let's make something a bit more narrative. Like at the end of the day, I like I like the journey that you can go with like, you know, three verses or whatever. But <laughs> sometimes that might be a bit, uh, a bit verbose for for what we're doing yeah i i really liked the sort of wh- where we ended up between those two worlds on, on this record i think maybe it's made it um more alternative than not than we'd originally intended the record to be but it definitely makes it more alternative and has taken it away from the sort of more mainstream dance end of things which i think is probably was great for this record yeah i think it like for me what i the type of music i love most or historically most is pop music like ABBA are one of my favorite bands. Well, I say that, but like ABBA Gold is the only record that I ever <laughs> really like properly listen to. Um, Have you been to see ABBA, the London the no, experience? No, no. Have you been? No, no, no. Something think, to put on your 2024. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think Nyler went. I know a few other people have gone. And yeah, it looks amazing. Only said it's amazing. Like, yeah. Um, so like, they, you know, they're telling a story in th- those songs, whatever it may be, whether it's about themselves or whether it's inspired by something else. So... Because you know the type of music I love is is that, and that's kind of where my my history is. Then it made sense to me to to follow that. And finally, the closing track on the song, uh, Celine. Tell me about this song. Celine, yeah. Um, it's named after a Selena type of string synth, which was. Um, oh, it's this, named after a synth. Yeah, it's named after <laughs> synth. Yeah, yeah. Which was uh, Joe had in his in his demo. This is the only track with. Uh, there is one, soft synth in there. Oh no! That there's there's one VST. Yeah, VST instrument. I think that's the only one in the entire record. Yeah, everything else is is real uh, analog synthesizers. Um, I in the I guess March of twenty twenty, maybe twenty twenty one. Probably twenty twenty one. Yeah, big difference between March twenty twenty yeah. and yeah, March twenty twenty one. It's true. So yeah, it was my birthday, and um, I bought Ableton Live uh, for myself. Um, I've used other dolls for years, but I wanted to try and see what Ableton would would kind of do for me. Um, I would sit in the living room in the house I was living in in Fibsworth at the time, and just like try and and make something. So the context for this song for me is like if you listen to Homework or sorry uh, Discovery by Daft Punk, in the middle there's a Night Vision that song, which is kind of like a little palate cleanser in the middle of it. It's kind of like the game of love on Random Access Memories. Mm. So Which you don't like. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think given how intense the kind of ride of the album can be at times, it felt like a nice like little R- reprise breath at, at the end, you know? Yeah, um, nice kind of quieter one. 
Yeah, settles you. Exactly. Yeah. And then that vocal, um, I just wrote in the room here and we put it down. And I think that just sort of summed up the sort of the send off for the record, really. Yeah. The, it's just the, it's one lyric, something to remember, something to remind me. and Of home. Yes. Uh, congrats on the album. Thank Sounds you. great. I love Thank it. You. Um, are you proud of what you've achieved? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Big time. Yeah. Yeah. I think I kind of got lost in it when we were making it um, because it happened in like a mad time for the world. Yeah. But had the pandemic not happened, we probably wouldn't have made it because we wouldn't have had the time. So I remember during the pandemic, like in the evenings, myself and Theo would usually go for a walk around um, where we lived in Fribsborough, a place called Great Western Square. And it was like this nice tiny little park in the middle of a bunch of houses. And we would just do laps of the square. And uh, I remember her asking me if I was proud of it. And I hadn't even really given it any, like pride had never really come into the equation for me and then when I kind of ruminated on it a little bit I was like yeah actually am we've we've done so much and we've 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 worked really hard to get it to where it is um so I'm super proud of it yeah cool nice one guys congrats on it and thanks for chatting to me today thank, thank you, you. So here's the thing, I've got a problem and it starts with you and ends with me. I know that we'll get to the bottom of this predicament that we are in. I hate you girls, but only in the moments when I'm out dancing all alone. An easy fix to break the tension here would be for you. To take me home They tell me every time Every time Every time They tell me every time We don't fit But sure I am When we go you know it's me again Back on my bullshit They tell me you're a nightmare, they see the moons 
Oh, 